Hi, it's Anita Wingley. While we're working away at season two of Heavenly Minded, Earthly Good, we wanted to share some of the amazing content that's in our season one interviews, but didn't make it into the final cut. The next few episodes will be the full conversations with some of our special guests. We hope that you find these interviews helpful. And that idea of being able to grow to scale and not grow fast just based on our efficiency is an alternative, I think, community that we have to start thinking about. Here's my interview with Dr. Jesse Sidirgo, my program director for the Church in the City program. Since this podcast came out, Tyndale University has actually decided to cut the Church in the City program. So my class was the last cohort to ever do this program. However, Jesse and I talked about what does it mean to even study deeper in the Christian waters and is it even useful? Plus, a lot of the things that I actually liked about my program have now been incorporated into some other programs, which Jesse now runs. Here's our interview. I'll start with where I remember. So I had in the in March 2020, obviously I was in Guatemala. And then we were doing that Old Testament theology course, I remember. Um, mm. And having been to Guatemala and gone to do that film project, for me, it was like the beginning of like the splitting of my world. Because mm, prior yeah. to that, I was just like at Catch the Fire. You know, I had this like little urban city life that I was living with and okay with as long as I didn't think about the other things I used to do. Um, and um and so going to guatemala doing that film project was like um it's like totally just a, a dose of <laughs> dose of like if of an old addiction in a way <laughs> and being like that tastes really good why don't i have more of that and why am i here humming around with theology books and working in a church when it could be like it could be in other countries um, making videos and the, all of that is like way sexier, cooler, looks better um, than this than this other life. And so in my I remember somewhere after coming back and I'm like, that's when I start being like, this is a waste. Like this program is um, taking up way too much energy. like it's just taking up energy and time that I don't have because mm -hmm. I'm all, I was already working. Like I was working at the church, doing that other video job on Fridays. Mm -hmm. And because of this Guatemala thing, I basically gave myself a whole extra freelance video project um, yeah. that I didn't need to give myself. Um, and um, and so and so like the MDiv seemed like the last thing. I think I even drew scales in my journal. I was like, like, what is the most <laughs> important and what actually takes time and what am I passionate about? And the MDiv seemed like, I'm not that excited about that. It takes up like, you know, a day and a half each week. Um, and that's Anita's compressed version of like, you know, mm -hmm. trying to minimize the time I spent on it. And, um, and now I've got this new tab open, which is like Guatemala is like this tab of like traveling content creator, Anita. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I got a taste of what that felt like. And so the end of, I guess at this point, this is spring 2020, this is like, you know, the end of uh, first year. So, so we're not quite the end. 
because we go till the summer, but it was spring of 2020. And I remember that being like a big one of, there's at least two, but that was the first time I really like had a conversation with, um, with someone other than my parents or friends, like um, about uh, like, why am I doing this? And this is kind of dumb. Um, <laughs> and then just being like, what do you think? Um, yes. Do you remember any of that conversation? And and just go for it. Yeah, I remember you coming with a lot of hesitation, and I felt like, oh, I think she's she's going to drop out of the program. Um, that's the feeling I had, um, in particular because I felt like it just didn't connect. It wasn't connecting necessarily with what was pragmatic for you to do at the time. Um, but you have to remind me a little bit about what your, what stuck out to you in that conversation, just to peek my, just to remind myself. I have a feeling. I know I talked about home and boundaries a little bit, but do you want to let me know a little bit more from what you what you remember from it? Okay, I'll. I only remember when I came away from it, but yeah. um, and then I'll and then I want to hear you talk, um, okay. but. I remember in that conversation, there was a moment where I, I like held out my hands and I was explaining these like different paths in life. And, and this one, and like, there was this world that I lived in now, which is like Georgetown, MDiv, church job. Um, and, and I don't know where it leads, but it's, it's a whole decision, right? If I'm going to stay in Georgetown, I'm going to keep working this church job and I'm going to just keep going with this MDiv. And then there's this other world of like, I could send a few emails, pick up my camera pack up my carry on and hop on a flight and off I go. And, um, and I remember holding my hands up and, and it might have not even, and the, it was like in that moment, I realized like that Bible verse, you know, it says you cannot serve two masters, God and mammon, Yeah. you know, yeah. or even just like all those Bible verses where it talks about like the narrow way or the path and like having to make a choice. I was like, oh, this is a very clear thing. What I'm actually fighting between, um, like maybe what I'm actually fighting between is not whether or not this program is dumb, but it's actually like I'm fighting between these two ways of the world of living life. And one is this new path of following God and externally it looks a little bit boring to me. Um, but then there's this other way is like externally more exciting, but yeah. um, I didn't have any sense that like God was opening those doors. Um, cause it just felt like something that I could bust out by myself. Mm -hmm. Got it. Yeah. So when you, when you called me and we were in that zoom call in my head, I had, uh, a sense from you that you were in a way sc scattered and, and fragmented in what you were wanting to do. And I felt like, you know, your narrative actually coming into the program was coming from in a way all over you were the definition of that, you know, digital nomad who is going around and um, kind of the picture of post-modernity in my mind uh, of fragmentation and just kind of going in different places and not having a, a sense of grounding. 
So in that conversation, I do recall there was a sense of me thinking about this uh, this idea that I that I that I personally went through because I had to feel some sense of grounding in my own spiritual journey and my vocation. Oh, hang on. So I had some kind of connection between what you were going through and what I was sensing in my vocational kind of journey as well in the past where I felt like I was trying on different things and I was not necessarily grounded in a sense of place, in a sense of home. Is as I was like engaging different things in ministry based out of a suspended Jesse that was never kind of placed. Like when someone was talking to me, I was a kind of a chameleon, always engaging them wherever they were at. But no one really knew where I was at. And when you were talking, it kind of made me remind myself of myself. And and I saw it in even a more more with you because of everywhere that you're going. Um, and some something in me was sensing that there was a need for boundaries, like a need for you to be in a bounded set for a season so that you can know how to be creative within a narrow scope rather than in a, in a wider scope. Because I felt like there was one point I do remember mentioning in that like creativity um, comes out differently when you're, when you're, when you're giving, given some boundaries and given something that's more limited uh, in a way, it's kind of overwhelming. It's kind of, uh, it's too far fetched. It's too, too far reaching. If you have no boundaries and you can go anywhere you want, creativity thins out. Um, and in my mind that even though the, the MDF program is, quite restrictive you know you're in old testament probably you know when you're when you're learning at that time and so you're thinking how is old testament going to be relating to all these different things but in a way it forces you to create it forces you to think within a a bounded set which was different and so i think that's what came to my mind when when you were coming to me and talking about that so like, do you, when you think back to that conversation, or I, I remember one of the things you mentioned right off, right off the bat was like, um, like, I'm not here to convince you to stay in this program. And mm -hmm. that like really caught me off guard because I was like, isn't it the, this guy's job to make this program work? <laughs> and and um, like, uh, do you, like, do you remember saying that? And if so, can you explain that philosophy? Yeah, I don't. I don't think, especially at this master's level kind of program, if someone wants to be there, and if we, we work with a lot of adult learners, you know, people who are motivated to go into it. And I was not interested at all in having people who are in the program who are not necessarily desiring to be there. And so for me, it's a, it's like a, I got, I got no qualms with it. I don't, I don't need to defend the program in a way to be able to, to get people uh, attracted to it, but this is what it is. And this is, um, this is why I think it's perhaps good for people to, to, to work through especially with those limited boundaries. And so that's what kind of, you know, in my mind, I was just thinking, you know, if she wants it, great. If not, then let's try to find another path for her here at Tyndale or in any other way. Cause I, I feel like the philosophy of ministry with whatever it is, whether I'm a pastor at a church, whether I'm in a seminary or whatnot, is that you have to have open hands. And I don't like treating people as if they are a pawn to some, you know, to some big scheme that we have um, for them. Cause I've experienced that in the past where I felt like I was um, used in a certain way for a particular agenda and goal. So I think in school or whether it's in ministry, it's like when you lead, you have to lead with um, a desiring for the good of the person and people can feel it if it's for that or whether it's for your own agenda.
Okay. And, um, and then when you think of like this program, what element, like, how would you say this program is unique or, you know, or, okay, why don't we start with that? Like, is there anything that makes this program unique? And if so, um, do you see how any of that played into any of my, my journey? Hmm. There's a lot of things I could say about that, but I think that So to start, I think that there, this program in particular has, um, it it doesn't, it doesn't compromise, <laughs> it doesn't compromise on the things that would maybe be a little bit more pragmatic. You know, we, we, we insisted on certain things that didn't make it feel very flexible for the student, but had integrity in what we were intending to do. We try to, we try to do what we say we're going to do. We try to let the um, the methodology be the message, you know, it's not like this is the message that we're sharing, but the methodology is totally foreign to what we're trying to say. Um, we're trying to match it as much as possible. And that's hard uh, to do <laughs> in our day because pragmatism rules, you know, whatever's financially more feasible, whatever's more convenient always flies. And we want to cater to the consumer. And this program didn't do that. Um, even we did as much as we could of that, but without compromising the values of the program, and so, yeah, it, what I think is the most unique thing about it is that it situates people in a community. It situates people in a set community that you have to be together with for the next three and a half years. And those people are from different denominations, different perspectives, and uh, we're a cohort-driven uh, program. And so we we tend to focus on a group of students moving along together, and we track them on courses that a lot like line up after each other and so we put all the courses in order in a particular way so that people can journey through those courses together and so that the, the thing about the program is that it doesn't give students the autonomy to move and do what they would like with their with their courses we set it for them um and the the benefit of that is that people have thought through that really a lot and um and it forces people into a one community where they journey with together and i think that's particularly good for you i think anita in this in that like you couldn't run <laughs> you can't run from the people and and whether there's disagreement or whatnot um you cannot fly from one place to another because you're stationary it's like it's it forces you to cemented you in a in a group of people that you have tracked with now for you know now three and a half years, right? Um, and that you've been together with that now there's a narrative that when people speak into your to your life or to any other student's life, when they speak into each other's lives, it's not coming out of nowhere. It's coming out of a narrative. It's came, coming out of a shared story where you know the backdrop of a, a ministry failure or a ministry difficulty or a ministry victory. And you can pick up on that narrative in your exposition of scripture or in your analysis of certain certain theology or a ministry practice everything has is much more richer because you've journeyed together with people and for you who um kind of journeyed and had many different relationships with uh different uh, people in ministry or whether it's people in your work when you journeyed together with those i'm i'm sure you journeyed with them many people in for a long period of time but this 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 community allowed you to have a spiritual community um i would say and i think that's the same for the other other students as well um, can you talk about the downside of being boundaryless can you just like talk more about that 
Yeah, so in theology or in like ministry? Actually, I'd also or? love to hear a tiny, like you can share a little bit of um, how you came to that realization yourself. Because I think, yeah, I remember that time hearing your story and like, um, uh, I'm like, like hearing somebody who's like actually experienced that and, um, and like walked through it. Because to be honest, no one else in our cohort really is is even close to this right but actually being boundaryless and like having your identity flip-flop between all these different things i'd say is more normal for everyone else other than my cohort <laughs> that's right that's right yeah well for me in in my ministry journey i was someone who didn't stay somewhere very long you know i i kind of went from one place to another because i i felt like you know, the idea of postmodernity or deconstruction is that every every place I would be in, I would deconstruct it. And then I would say, OK, there's the fault in where I am. And 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 I've always found the um, I always critique myself in every kind of, you know, zone I was in or any kind of emphasis I was in. I would deconstruct it and I would move to the next one because I could always find something wrong with it, <laughs> with any kind of uh, ministry trajectory. And so what that ended up producing in me in my journey, like going from um, from from youth ministry to quitting that youth ministry job and just spending time with people who were completely, you know, far from the church and being able to relate with them um, and doing ministry with them to going to Boston and doing a church plant uh, and from Boston church plant going to Toronto doing urban ministry with the with street involved youth to going to seminary, I felt like I had. I was going and moving and, and developing my own personal narrative. But first of all, I wasn't journeying with the same group of people for a long period of time. I would uh, be moving from those. And I felt like I felt like I had no sense of grounding. I had no sense of um, cohesion in my own sense of community. And I was in this class in um, in, in UFT uh, taking one of these classes uh, called Beyond Homelessness. It's and and it just kind of struck me in this one text that said that, you know, you need to feel a sense of home uh, here on Earth. And in my mind, I was like, no, I need to, I need to. <laughs> heaven is my home, you know. Heaven's my home. Everything else is a tent here, you know. I should I should treat my life as nothing. Like my my life is dead, and I am alive in Christ. So my heaven is home. So in the meantime, I can't be too comfortable anywhere I am. And what that ended up meaning is that, like, I, I didn't feel settled anywhere. And so when I engaged in ministry, um, I was engaging with people as if I have no place. And people were engaging me as if um, I was just a chameleon to wherever they were. And that was difficult uh, for me over a long period of time. I would be able to engage with different cultures really well. I would be able to engage with street-involved youth, even though I have no kind of background what they are going through. But I would always ask the youth, like, you know, how are you doing? And they're like, uh, oh, we're, we're doing good or I'm not doing good. And then they would ask me, so how are you doing? What's going on with your life? And I felt like ministry was like, no, 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 it's not about me. It's about you. But then every time I would do that with the street-involved youth, it's like they were talking to a non-person. You know, a non-person, someone who isn't place-based. Um, and I felt like there was something wrong with that. And so that's what, you know, and, and my family was growing at that time. And I felt like, you know, I really need to have an identity <laughs> here on this world. I know I have Christ's identity. He is my identity in Christ. But at the same time, 
there's Jesse too. Like God inhabits a person and I'm Jesse, I'm Jesse. And I have to actually express from who I am. And so that's my journey out of that. And I said, I have to start building from a place so that people know where I'm, where I am and that they're actually talking to someone, a, a person with an identity. That's so fascinating. This is a different, this will give me stuff to think about when I'm editing. Um, okay. Yeah, this is just more out of um, curiosity. Like when, as the, so I like you were, you're like the first program, we're the first cohort that you're um, program directing in this program, right? So, um, as you've like watched and been a part of some of my journey over the last three years, um, was there anything that like surprised you? That's one. And then another is like, did you ever have a, a sense or a hope for what I might be doing out of this program? You know, even just like when you look at the people in this program, like, like, um, like I was really unsure about what the heck I'm doing this for and very vocal about it. Um, <laughs> and yeah, like, how did that land for you? So when I started as the director of this program, I had in my my head that I would be working with people who are a little bit unorthodox um, in 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 a seminary. And when I when your application uh, came up and I saw your you know your profile and I saw what, what you were doing online, I was like, this is interesting. Um, and and it, and it piqued my interest to see like I wonder where this will go. <laughs> um, and it's it's been a great journey to watch it watch it flourish. And and there was some rocky parts through it uh definitely where you had you had your doubts but as we were as in my mind is like what is ministry going to be like when it goes outside of the church um and you in particularly what happens in this digital world where you're gonna have to, we're gonna know how to navigate the metaverse and how to navigate what happens um in, in the digital arena and so when for me when i was intrigued by you coming here is that I was like, I wonder, I always thought throughout the process and not only for you, but for others as well, um, who weren't fitting the pastoral track, you know, and I was wondering, I wonder how long they're going to stick with it into this, into this, into the discipline of another arena of study um, until it's going to be like, this is too much and I have to break. <laughs> you know? I, I would always wonder that because I, it's my first journey through it with you too, right? And I'm like, I know it's good for them. <laughs> I know that being and learning in another discipline outside of your own is important um, to inform others. But I wonder in our current day, in our current society, whether someone like Anita is going to stick with it, knowing how a, how appealing it would be just to you know, do your own custom version of, of, of learning. And you said that to me many times, actually, Nita, you're like, why, why would I do, 
do a course in the seminary where there's just a bunch of good resources online. You know, let me just go to the Bible project or whatever to learn about Job, you know, and you would, you would bring those up. And I'm like, yeah, there's so much more appealing things out there in a way that could gravitate. That's like kind of a bespoke tailored to someone um, in what they would want to learn. And they can craft that and, and paper mache that all together into their own program in a way. Um, but I think that the idea, even more than what what we did, is actually the the discipline of being with people for a long period of time, uh, and learning through something that has been, you know, systematically put together, is important. Um, even bad stuff, you know, that we do, <laughs> even bad programs that we go through, actually, if we are true learners, we'll go into that. And so, what I thought was interesting with you. Anita, is that once you decided, once you decided that I'm in, which was a really radical change, like I thought you were going to be out, you were on the edge very for a, a period of time. And once you opted in, you went all in. <laughs> and then suddenly you would turn courses like systematic theology or you would take courses that like seem very abstract and you'd be like, hmm, I wonder about this project. Once you actually figured out that you could start writing papers, that's one big thing for you, write papers about things that you were actually interested in. Like you can kind of like tailor, like I'm going to write the systematic theology paper. I'm going to write it about something that really interests me on this angle that would actually contribute. Once you started to be able to think that I can develop a portfolio, you know, a portfolio of different pieces together based on these essays to craft this one main project. That seemed like it was a big, big, uh, big thing for you. But I think that when anyone does this, not only you, but when anyone like convinces themselves that this is going to be good for them and I'm going to create within the bounds of this, whatever subject or this course, you, you can make the most of it. Really, you can. And that's what I was surprised at, not surprised, but like, the amount that you crafted unrelated subjects to what your desires were and what your passions were, um, how you made that work is not something I can see happen a lot, you know? And so um, that takes a certain determination that takes a certain reframing of certain things and fitting it uh, within it. And that, that takes the best. And I think you, all the things that you did prior in a, in the open landscape of the world in, in uh, doing all those things, what 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 you were gifted is is you were able to have discernment to know how to place things in a in a way where you're crafting a story, um, and and I think you tried to make theology a part of your story, um, and you fit it in pretty well um, for what I saw. So you were the person who told me that I should um, I should make the assignments apply to something I actually wanted to explore. And, mm -hmm. and then you gave me the idea of like, oh, like, you know, you could even think of them as like a stepwise, like instead of the entire curriculum is decided for me, there's the curriculum, but then there's each assignment, but you could think of the assignments as like layers on what you already learn. And so I felt really blessed that I had that conversation with you and that you said that to me. Because then I was like, oh, this is how I can make this useful to me, uh, to the part of my brain that doesn't want to conform. I can, yeah, like, yeah. there's an outlet for it because it's yeah. like, it, I can funnel the topics I want to explore free for all into my papers. And even though, like, 
like I wrote a paper on the theology of money and and even though I could tell I'm like I need I want to do I want to write like a 50 page paper on this and it was like a 12 page paper um but I still felt like at least that like a little bit more fulfillment and satisfaction from having that permission so I have to thank you for that and and here's the thing for anyone deconstructing or anyone who is a free roamer and doesn't want to be conformed to the bureaucracy of this or that, anyone who's like that, okay, which I really resonate with, I would say is that if you've been out there with no boundaries and then you have to – and then you situate yourself within boundaries of a program or whatever in some state of bureaucracy and you are – and you have to execute that same level of discernment and figuring out the same tools you use out there in a boundless world and you use it within a bounded set. Um, I think that creates discipline. Discipline in the beauty of some deconstruction. Like the beauty of it is when you're forced to do it within a bounds uh, and and parameters, it, it expresses it very differently. And there's a, there's a, there is a uh, a substance to it. There is a a meat to it that is different than the thin type of deconstruction with no boundaries, you know. And so it, it doesn't even mean that you have to stay within those boundaries. It just means that sitting in it for a season could benefit and sharpen sharpen all those skills of um uh, of bringing unrelated disciplines together all the time. It it sharpens those skills. My mom would say that she's like, it will, it will sharpen your thinking. I'd be like, what the heck does that mean? But, <laughs> but I think I have some idea now. Okay. Um, you made a podcast out of it. <laughs> you made a podcast out of it. It's so. a wild thing. I, so now I'm at the point, this really feels like my victory lap slash master's thesis. Like personally, I'm at the point where I, I'm like, I'm shifting. I've, I feel permission from God to like shift gears. I'm like my assignments, like I'll do them and I'll keep learning, but like this, doing this well and putting my like final, my, you know, my last 100 meters into this podcast is probably the thing that will, um, that means like my last two courses, those will be like my victory lap courses. I'm like, once this is done, like this is a huge thing. Um, and just a side thing, even like this week, I got assigned, we're doing like models of contextual theology, and then we got assigned them randomly. And the one that Dan Sheffield gave me was a transcendental model. I kind of wanted the praxis model, um, but then I was like, oh, okay, I don't know what this is. <laughs> so I was reading it on Saturday and I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is me. This is like God telling me I'm basically a contextual theologian who, um, who leans heavily into the transcendental model. And the transcendental model is all about um, like an individual subjective way of, mm -hmm. of basically processing their faith and thinking through how it fits into their life. Um, it's like subjectivity first. So instead of leaning on like trying to get objective theology and like contextualizing yep. in that way it's very like personal so like the christianity that someone will absorb if this is the first or second thing that somebody learned from christianity they'd get a very specific sliver of it through the lens of you know a millennial um in the first world who's you know educated etc um so that was like this that was just this week i was like oh my gosh god is showing me what i'm doing so i was like okay 
this is officially a piece of contextual theology. I just, too bad I should hand this into Dan and be like, here's my assignment. <laughs> yeah, and I think that when, like, basically what you ended up doing, like, just like this example with contextualization and this course right now that you're taking and this assignment is that you have something that you know intuitively and 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 it comes out intuitively, but then suddenly you go to school or you go to whatever, and then suddenly they give you terminology for things that you inherently knew, but then it brings the investigation deeper because certain terms are there to help kind of flesh it out. And it's been thought out before, you know, and, and, it, and it gives you something to, uh, uh, to converse with and to piggyback on. Okay. So in your experience, also someone who's studying, um, and like doing your PhD finding, or the way I like to put it, finding big words to ideas you had, how, how has that been helpful for you? The first way it is helpful for me to to go to school and learn all these big words or whatnot is that it allows me to have dialogue partners who are wicked smart (laughs) and who've thought very deeply about things. And it's like the difference between having someone who you can have a nice conversation with in real life. Um, and you have some ideas that are just kind of coming off the cuff. And then you go to school. And then when you're in school, suddenly you're dialoguing with something, someone who's really thought it out in a book. And then you have to dialogue with that person in a paper that makes it um, makes your thoughts go deeper rather than a fleeting conversation that never really grounds itself. You know, the great great thing about a podcast, for example, like we're doing right now, is that we have this conversation and things are just kind of coming off off the whim as we're going back and forth. But that's like one layer, you know, that's one layer of it. Once you go a deeper layer, that's when the writing gets in there. You know, that's where we we start recording and building upon your thought to push it further and further and then challenging it and realizing that's not even actually a really good thought. This is a great thought. <laughs> and you keep on going, whether it's the person in the book telling you the better thought or the person in the book that you're reading that you're challenging that brought you to a new thought. Um, And so that distills you to some deep core values. And that once you get those core values, once you try to do ministry or once you try to do something in real life, it's that much more grounded and you're, you can revolve it around that value and you can be uncompromising about that value because it wasn't just off the whim type of value. It was really investigated. Um, so I think that's important, whether it's in theology or in any kind of discipline in life. And because I saw success early in my life without grounding it in theology or grounding it in deep study and things, I saw success because you can get success by just going off the whim. You know, if you have enough personality, if you can talk well, if you can think fast on your feet, you can get okay pretty far. Um, But then I think it's important to realize that just because there's success in that doesn't mean that's the right thing. And I've seen it time and time again, all the things that I've said in the past um, don't hold ground. Um, It was built on pretty, you know, shaky foundation, the sand, not the rock, you know? And so... That's how I that's how I feel it's important to to learn deeper and get into certain texts and start writing. You just did the perfect segue for something that I'm going to talk about in the podcast. 
Anyway, I can segue is, you. Okay. Um, okay. This might be the last thing that I have. Um, so I want to hear your thoughts on on burnout. Um, there, there were a few of us in the cohort who were doing like multiple different things. I remember John specifically talking about seasons of burnout. Um, Derek right now is a stay at home dad for a while. Like there were, there've been definitely, and then there was a pandemic, but this is a theme I want to talk about um, in the podcast and I don't know who to bring it in. So I'm going to ask you it. Cause one of the things I, I really want to land on, like one of the things that kind of kept me in this program was realizing um, this program to finish this program or to continue doing it for me is a very clear act of obedience. It's like, I don't know where this is leading, but um, there could not be a more obvious thing that feels like following God than doing seminary. So I'll do it. Um, and I could see that the alternative, because of the way I'm wired, if I didn't fill like a day and a half and some Saturdays with schoolwork, what I would actually do is start dreaming up other videos and other content and other creative projects. And I would fill it with something. Like it was very unlikely that I would take that space, mental space in my life and just rest and just chill out. I'd actually just start um, using that energy to reconstruct my identity online. And you know, whether I call it art or videos or creative outlet, I noticed that that's what I did. And even the Guatemala project was an example, right? It's like, I have a little bit of bandwidth in the winter. So I'm going to go to Jamaica. And then because I got there, yeah. then I got to, then I got invited to Guatemala. Um, um, but I realized if I'm going to stay in Toronto and I'm working at this job, at catch the fire that isn't like using all my creativity. Like I clearly have excess energy and creative brain space. So I'll fill it with this program. Um, and and so that was like the decision I made in 2020, 2021. It was basically, I'm either going to like chase success by working harder or I'm going to do this program. And one of the things that has actually um, helped me find a better place than either of those op two options, because both of those options involve doing more work, has been um, has been like discovering the the sabbath the sabbath practice for myself right being aware of my own propensity to like chase success as a form of identity um and how that leads me how that can lead like the common word for it is burnout um and so i'd just love to hear um you know what's your take on um on this new world where it's like quite common for people to be working multiple jobs or trying to do multiple things. Yeah. I think we need to know what is enough. Number one. Um, I, I have my kids and, um, and when I was growing up and my parents were trying to um, raise me, I was in like no clubs. <laughs> I was in like I was in no like after school programs. Okay, my parents were just hustling. They were just kind of making it through. Um, they were doing ministry, and like my my, my dad's a pastor, and my mom too. And so they were they were going at it. And 
And so I never went into like all these different sports clubs or whatnot. They were not thinking that I was going to be some like athlete or whatnot, or like some scholar or whatever. And so they just said, just let me be. Um, and, and then now, and so now, you know, you know, the hustle now with regards to parents and myself, suddenly I'm like the possibilities of what my could my kids could be are endless. Like they could be an athlete and an astronaut and, you know, a preacher and like all these different things I can, they could be all of them because they could be multidimensional now before it's like, you know, monodimensional before. Now they can be multidimensional. They can be all these different things. They can have multiple careers um, when before my parents were only thinking maybe of one. And so I heard this actually with from Andrew Root um, talking about our, our secular culture. And he, he talks about this idea of like, it's, it's not before maybe we were governed by things like, I think I should do this. It's like a sense of obligation. I should do this um, or, or this act or that act. But now because there's so many things that we could do. The idea, the question resident in us now is like, I, I could do that. You know, like that's a possibility. And because we can keep adding possibilities because now we want to just change the world, you know, like we want to go do everything because it, again, there's no boundary. There's no limits, like just forever and ever and endless infinity. Then, then that's the stress. The stress is thinking, I could have done that. Like I could have squeezed a jog, you know, in between when my kid is learning, a, you know, some, a, some math program. And then I'm outside sitting down. I'm like, I could have been running for the past hour that they were in this lesson, but I sat here, you know, or whatever. And the idea of I could do it makes me stressed and gives me anxiety. And I think the idea of like actually realizing and scaling it down a bit, you know, I think the idea of globalization and the idea of doing things and changing the world made us made us stress because we think that it's actually possible to do that. And in a way, it comes back to the symptom, just the biblical old symptom of like wanting to be God. Like, I just want to be God. <laughs> I can be God. God's in me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so with that pro propensity to go and change the world because we feel like we can do it um we get we get stressed and we get burnt out and so part of the solution i think is actually uh knowing how to do things uh within scale within scales of proportion um to where you are at it doesn't mean you can't dream it doesn't mean you can't have faith do a lot it just means that there's certain levels of scales that once you go beyond a certain scale you begin to lose something of yourself and and scaling and franchising whatever you do on and on, it's not necessarily the way we have to go. In fact, I think there's a lot of collateral that happens as as a result of that. Even though we can maybe see, you know, the results at the same time, you go downstream might not be so healthy for you or the people you're impacting. Okay, I okay. This is so good. Um... Well, I want to hear if you have a little bit more on, you know, you mentioned one thing that's part of the solution, but like, just talk more about like, what is the Christian answer to, to this? So I think that we have been very uh, influenced by um, the economy and the market and the way in which we see growth. And I think that it's important that, um, that the kingdom of God is doesn't just simply follow the stream 
of economic measures or economic systems like that we actually um we actually live in an alternative reality that i think is um very place based is very sustainable um and it's it's something that um doesn't put more upon us than we need to um and so i can try this again but there's 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 another there's there's more to it here so let me if i if i approach it with um all right let's try this so I think faithfulness, faithfulness in the small things um, has been largely overlooked. I think about, uh, you know, Jesus with the woman at the well, and I think about that moment and how he zones in, he gazes, he he remains um, not distracted by all the things around, um, but that he can really be present in the moment is a discipline that we really need to to know how to do and be being present and being faithful with what is right in front of us um without any sense of like using it for another purpose like using it as a means for an ends but really actually being there i think is part of the the gospel type of antidote to a lot of this like we're we we are now training our culture to look like three steps ahead and to always see like something having a utilitarian value to it um rather than simply the person itself so i think there's something there about faithfulness that would be an important thing for us to to grab hold of yes that was that landed for me i felt that <laughs> <laughs> so that's okay um <laughs> like how to say this simply without bringing neoliberalism in it the yeah. economic measures and stuff we've talked about in class i can okay here's a here's a okay. cherry on the top because i'll <laughs> i'll use up till 2 30 since i've got it um how would you okay you can answer this personally or even or like for a bra or for an audience like how would you describe like your vision of a kingdom of God way of life. I think that when I look up at, oh man, I am so different than what I used to be right now, I gotta say. Um, but let's just think agriculture for a moment and think of um, subsistence-based agriculture. All right, subsistence-based agriculture is where you would actually just make and grow what you would eat and then you would have some surplus of that and then you would maybe trade with other, you know, farmers who are doing other things and it, it would be a local economy in which you would actually know who's growing and you would actually know who's engaging with one another and there's like some kind of level of uh, a closed loop in a way within there of course with added for on the external and you would contrast that with like a in industrialized farming where people are pumping out and like producing as much from the ground as fast as they can and pumping out as much profit and then whatever surplus they would get that would be an economic surplus um that they would in, engage and invest in more product uh productivity i use that example because i think that when we look at uh when we look at you know a sustainable community and i think in our social world in the church in our church communities or in our ministry communities there, there needs to be an acknowledgement that we cannot pump the same kind of productivity as the assembly lines of an of the industrial revolution. You know, we cannot have the same um, execution as that would be. And I realized throughout my ministry how much I took the assembly line models into my social Christian community life. And I realized that much like food 
and much like how the world is changing um, as a result of how much we decimate the world um, uh, by the extraction of our resources at this level of production production that we do, I see the alternative reality of communities that kind of mimic uh, the sustainability, you know, and and subsistence type of farming where we can actually. You know, even though it's abstract, I was talking here, but there's ideas of being able to do things to scale. You know, actually growing to scale. Um, I'm in a I'm in a certain church right now where we're experiencing this idea of growth, and we have decisions to make about growth. Are we going to do a second service? Are we going to, um, you know, have the preacher preach in the first service and the second service, and then the worship team also double up? That's efficient, right? They already practice. Like, let's just go on. But we realize that it's it's actually really important that our values is that as we grow right now, that second service can't just be a reproduction of what we did in the first because it's a different community. And in fact, we're going to make it so that you're just going to come to the second service. That's your new service and eventually form that into its own community. And the idea of even like to the point where we're going to be like, even if we don't have a worship team for that second service and that first worship team is like killing it. We're not going to use them because we're just going to sing a cappella. If that's all we got, we're going to sing a cappella, and that's what it is. And that idea of being able to grow to scale and not grow fast just based on our efficiency is an alternative, I think, community that we have to start thinking about. Um, and and instead of thinking about like, oh, if one one homeless person comes into the church and it's like, what, are we going to be a homeless place? Is that our specialty? No, it doesn't have to be. We can just be present with this very person in the moment. We don't have to think 10 steps ahead. We can just be present. Heavenly Minded, Earthly Good is a production of Tyndale University. Visit our website, tyndale.ca, for more information.